Closing the Digital Divide, the podcast dedicated to creating meaningful conversations and sharing valuable insights from industry leaders, policymakers, equipment manufacturers, and others on closing the digital divide. I'm your host, Charles Thomas, and together we will explore the policies, challenges, triumphs, and innovative solutions that are reshaping the digital landscape. We are excited today to welcome uh, a person that's doing some fantastic work um, that are really dedicated to helping us close the digital divide. I'm very happy to introduce David Burka, who is a project manager of Tequity and Resource Equity at United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County. And I'm so happy I said Waukesha correctly. David, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thanks very much. I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Or maybe I should ask you, did, did I pronounce Waukesha correctly? You did. Spot on. Waukesha. All right. Um, so, David, I always ask this first question whenever anyone comes on the show. is, And I, and I think you may be able to provide a, a unique perspective on this question. And that is, what is the digital divide and why is it so important that we have it closed? Sure. Um, for myself, the shorthand understanding of the digital divide uh, that I use uh, is very simply the difference or the gap between those who uh, have ready and I'll say easy, affordable access to digital technologies and the skills and resources to use those technologies effectively uh, and those who don't or who, who experience, we'll say, greater than average barriers to um, digital tools, resources, and skills. Great answer, great answer. And that's part of what we're going to talk through today. So David, tell us what is Tequity and, and how did it all come about? Yeah, um, like, like many things, especially in the digital divide related space, uh, Tequity is a, a strategic initiative of our United Way uh, that began in uh, early 2020. I have to go back and remember the chronology of everything, but early 2020, as uh, we were all experiencing the shift to remote and virtual learning and, and work and living in general, um, and as that shift was happening, uh, we, our United Way um, in, in Metro Milwaukee and Waukesha County, we were getting lots of requests and uh, notices, I guess, about um, uh, a lack of devices or uh, access to internet and anything related to, we'll just say digital technology broadly construed. Um, and, and we were being asked to uh, help bridge those gaps when and where possible. Um, even things like smartphones and data plans for families um, maybe that had uh, really unstable housing or were, or who's, you know, families that were uh, experiencing homelessness at the time. So there were some really critical, vulnerable, um, situations that folks were finding themselves in, and we were trying to respond as quickly as we could um, uh, to those needs in light of the larger pandemic uh, chaos, really, that was going on at the time. So um, I went to your website and um, just kind of reading through some of the, the great stuff that you're doing, and I saw where you guys are kind of looking at four focus areas broadband devices, skill and literacy, and advocacy. Can Correct. you walk us through uh, each of those areas? Yeah, definitely. So um, 
when Techwity first began, uh, again in you know about March 2020 or so, uh, it was really an emergency response initiative. So we were focused on just getting resources out the door as quickly as we could to folks who needed them and and organizations that needed them. Um, and then as the pandemic wore on, and uh, we'll all recall the the uncertainty around if we're going to go back to working in person and and all that. Um, we realized that the needs around digital equity or digital access that our community was experiencing weren't going anywhere. In fact, the more and more we, we learned, we realized those needs were, were going to grow or at least be around for a very long time. So we decided to refocus uh, a bit and come up with um, what we thought were the strategic priorities for an initiative that should be focused on bridging the digital divide. Um, and so that's where we came up with broadband devices, skills, and advocacy um, from organizations like the National Digital Inclusion Alliance, for instance. Um, they outlined some priorities in, in their policy recommendations and so forth for what organizations, um, nonprofit organizations in particular, should focus on if they're going to engage in some digital equity work. Um, and that's where the, the emphasis on broadband devices and skills really comes in. Uh, the advocacy piece is a bit unique for us in that we tried to ask ourselves, we are a philanthropy, we're a nonprofit, but, but specifically we're a fundraising organization, um, and we work to convene lots of resources and professionals and, and uh, all kinds of resources for our nonprofit community in our four county footprint that we serve uh, in southeastern Wisconsin. And so the advocacy piece was added on um, as our fourth strategic priority because we thought that's really the way we can emphasize that that uh, that convening, bringing people together, um, network building, coalition building um, as something distinctive that was uh, part of our role in bridging the digital divide. So I want to dig into kind of each one of these just a little bit here because I, I, I know sure. there had to be some, some challenges um, that, that needed to be overcome. Let's start with broadband. Talk to yeah. us about some of the challenges that you guys had with getting broadband out to these, um, your your constituents there. Yeah, yeah. Broadband is really tricky. Um, you can't get people broadband in their home in the same way that you can get them a computer in their home. If someone you know doesn't have a, a large format device, um, we could use donor dollars to simply purchase one. Um, with broadband, it's it's much more complicated. You know, we have to ask ourselves. Um, if a person is indicating they don't have access to broadband, do they live in an area where uh, service is readily available? Uh, is the service on offer at the speeds that they need? Um, is it affordable based on whatever the annual household income is? Um, all those kinds of considerations were uh, are, are a part of our approach to the broadband question. Um, and then in light of those questions, we're also looking at the, the legislative and the policy landscape in a, in a state like Wisconsin. Um, we have particular regulations and laws on the books that um, um, that we have to be mindful of and operate within those constraints. Um, and so we've had to do a couple things simultaneously, respond to the immediate needs. So maybe that means providing hotspots with data plans that are donor funded or grant funded or a combination of that, um, while also paying attention to the policy landscape and trying to organize and convene folks who um, maybe have some some weight to add to the discussion happening at the legislative level about how we can improve affordable and equitable access in the areas where it's needed most. So does do you guys actively if 
if someone comes to you and say, hey, we don't have any service in in the area, do you guys actively go out and advocate to get service there or or how does that work? Um, we we have and we can. So if if we learn about uh, needs for um, affordable broadband access, you know, we might um, issue grant funding. So for a while, we've had a, a competitive grant process open through Techwity, which is donor supported. You know, those those dollars are available because of United Way donors. Um, and so if an organization applies for it and gets uh, that funding, they might use the funding to purchase Internet subscriptions. Uh, maybe low-cost plans for folks who just need a pretty basic level of access. Um, but if the if if the uh, broadband needs are um, much more fragmented, like you know households in this particular community um, need uh, affordable access because collectively they you know most households in that area can't afford a monthly subscription or something. We'll we'll do a couple different things. Typically, we, we try and uh, make sure people are aware of the resources that are available to them immediately. So, um, you know, in recent years, that's been uh, connecting people with the Affordable Connectivity Program, ACP. Um, and then uh, again, as when and where possible, we'll um, do things like purchase hotspots and data plans. Um, but uh, the work of um, uh, Techwity in, in broadband has also gone much beyond um, the uh, just the immediate needs um, that hotspots could address. So um, we have a group that uh, has really spun out of, uh, apologies if you can hear the sirens in the background. Um, yeah, it's fine, it happens. <laughs> a group that has spun out of uh, Techwity um, called the Milwaukee Broadband Partnership. This is a group that Techwity has that initially helped convene, um, and it's a group of uh, local policy leaders and and uh, organizational and company leader leaders who um, see the urgency around broadband and broadband access and affordability. And we are working on uh, advancing some projects or strategies that will give us a more comprehensive sense of where broadband access and affordability needs are the greatest and where we should be recommending say to our public service commission or to our local elected leaders um, to direct resources and attention um, so that broadband accessibility is improved in some communities. Awesome. Um, let's look at devices. Um, it, when I saw that, I, I, it, it really piqued my interest because I'm wondering, are, are you guys looking to have uniformity across uh, your devices, particular manufacturer, particular um, um, performance levels? How, how do you guys work through the device challenges? Sure. Um, we are, we're not, uh, we're not technology specific in, in the sense that, that um, uh, we're not committed to a particular kind of laptop or desktop or model of computer or anything like that. We wanna make sure that people um, have the, the devices that they need to do whatever it is they need to do successfully. So what, if it's applying for a job or finding housing or working remotely from home or facilitating um, uh, uh, kids in school from uh, a living room, something like that. Um, and so whatever, device, whatever computer is going to get that job done, um, we support it. Um, what we do for devices is um, basically fund the refurbishment 
of uh, laptop computers, specifically at mass scale. So there is a device refurbisher and e-recycler in Milwaukee uh, called Digital Bridge that we work with. There's one in Madison uh, called Cascade Asset Management that we also work with. And with partnerships like that, what we can do is take donor dollars and pay for the refurbishment of devices, um, again, at mass scale. We have a goal right now of distributing up to 50,000 computers throughout our community over the next five years. So by the end of 2027, um, we want to make sure that there is not a household in our four-county footprint that, um, that suffers from lack of uh, device in the household. Um, and we think that's an achievable goal. We know that it has a significant price point to it. But again, that's where, you know, our United Way as a philanthropy and as a fundraiser really can excel. Um, and um, and it's it's less costly to refurbish a device that maybe has some life left in it um, than to go out and just keep purchasing new stuff. So part of the innovation that we're trying to adapt to the to the need um, is working with companies that are um, starting with companies that are existing United Way supporters and trying to determine what their process is for device disposition. Um, you know, does their IT team have a process for e-recycling and um, data destruction and all that? Almost certainly they do. Pretty much every company has some kind of process like that. And the bigger company you get, the more complicated the, the process typically. Um, but by working with the e-recyclers, what we found is that we can actually divert uh, streams of devices that otherwise might be sold in a in an overseas market or maybe even just recycled or go into a landfill. And maybe it's a matter of destroying a hard drive and replacing a hard drive. Um, but that still is much more cost effective than purchasing new device after new device after new device, especially when we have such amazing organizations that can refurbish them at professional quality um, so that when you're getting that laptop that's been um, refurbished, you'd never think um, most people would never think that it's a refurbished device even. Right. So do those same companies then um, help to maintain that, those uh, devices, or do you have other partners that work with you on the uh, maintenance part? We're still kind of working that out. Um, I think some companies that donate their devices would have an appetite to helping maintain them. Um, right now, we are working with local nonprofits and the e-recyclers specifically to make sure that the device um, has the components and everything that it that it needs to to um, have about probably three to five years of solid life uh, to it. And so, every device that that we pay for uh, the refurbishment of, it's going out with a new operating system, um, brand new uh, software, or the most up-to-date software, things like that. Um, and then we're also working with, uh, uh, again, our nonprofit network here in, in Metro Milwaukee, um, so that if and when questions and issues come up with devices that people are using, um, there's a means for them to get some help with those. Awesome. Um, skills and literacy. You know, I always say it's one thing to get service to the house. What can people do or what kind of skills do they have to be able to utilize that service and those devices? Tell yeah. us a little bit about those challenges. Yeah, it's an important, important question. So um, let me let me back up a little bit and say, uh, Part of how Tequity is structured is um, it has an advisory council that is uh, helping shape 
all of the strategies and projects that Techwity is engaged in. So uh, members of the advisory council are plugged into the different strategies uh, and projects. So we have folks who are committed to the broadband piece. We have folks who are committed to the devices piece and, and then also to the skills piece. Um, so our skills team um, within the uh, Techwity um, advisory group is to figure out how we connect people in um, uh, trusted settings where they can learn uh, digital skills and literacy um, in a way that is uh, helpful for them. Not everyone learns at the same pace. Not everyone needs to uh, have the, the same kinds of uh, attention or has the same questions about uh, how to use different devices. Um, and so we really try to meet people where they are at in situations or environments that they already trust. Um, and that's where, again, United Ways Network is really helpful. We work with so many different, I mean, hundreds of different nonprofit groups throughout the community. And so when we can work with an organization that already has a relationship with a client base, um, we find that folks are usually more receptive to um, learn a new skill or something because they already trust that environment. So once we have that environment, um, uh, set up, we can work with um, really any kind of group to uh, assess what the skill needs actually are. Is it a group of, um, let's say, elderly folks who are uh, unused to uh, certain kinds of tools that are much newer, um, and maybe they haven't had the opportunity to uh, be in a, a setting where they can ask open questions and get immediate help? Um, are we working or trying to support students who have uh, difficulty connecting their device to uh, Wi-Fi or accessing uh, the the learning portals that they're using for uh, their school. So um, we have a skills assessment uh, that we developed or that the uh, the uh, advisory council members who are focused on skills helped to develop. Um, and we take that skills assessment then and can um, start getting some initial data and feedback from folks about what what are the skills barriers that you experience? Um, if you could ask questions in a trusted setting, what kinds of questions would you ask? Um, what format for getting your questions answered is most helpful to you? Do you like to learn online? Do you like to learn with a person uh, sitting side by side? Um, and so the, the skills work has been um, probably the most tailor-made of any of the work that we're trying to, to do. And I think that's so important because People tend to learn better when they're in a um, environment that they're comfortable with. Absolutely. And, uh, especially when you're talking about technology, right? Because technology can be very intimidating to yeah. some folks, uh, <laughs> especially if you've, number one, if you've never had access to it before or, you know, elderly. I mean, I got my, my three-year-old grandson runs around the house with his iPad. So I know he's yep. going to be fine, you know? <laughs> But it's it's those other folks that have not been exposed to it before, or exactly, um, uh, or elderly folks that have not been exposed to it before. So I, I I definitely applaud you guys on that. And I think this probably leads into my next question: What are the digital navigators? Sure, digital navigators, uh, or at least the Techwity Digital Navigator program, is something uh, again that we're trying to adapt from what we've learned, for, in particular from the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. Um, I really can't say enough about the NDIA and how many amazing resources they offer uh, for organizations like ours to really help shape the work. Um, so the digital navigator model is this um, increasingly adopted or, or advocated for model of. Um, 
developing and training, uh, we'll say, folks who are very um, technically savvy. They they um, are comfortable using a whole variety of devices and machines and, and are knowledgeable about connecting to the internet and maybe are really knowledgeable about things like online safety. Um, so what we tried to do with our Techwity Digital Navigators program is connect those knowledgeable individuals who have a desire to volunteer and share that education or expertise um, with people who need to learn more and, and have indicated that they that they want to learn more. Um, and so for us, it means um, that we, you know, United Way has such an amazing volunteer base. And so really what we're trying to do with our Digital Navigators program is leverage that volunteer base um, so that we can have digital navigators who are um, who we know are at least competent in, uh, let's say, X, Y, Z components of digital literacy. And we have them, um, you know, complete a, a kind of simple application form, but then um, are a part of a pool of people, a group of people who are on hand, essentially, to um, volunteer and support digital skills trainings in particular. Um, when and where we need to organize them. So it could be trying to come up with a group of um, digital navigator volunteers who want to work at a, a senior center uh, to show folks some email basics, or it could be um, a, a group of digital navigators at uh, one of the local community colleges. This is something we did over the summer um, to help people enroll in the affordable connectivity program. Um, things like the ACP are not necessarily intuitive for many people. Um, and so if you can have a digital navigator that knows the ACP, knows the process and, and all of the sensitive information that, that someone will encounter um, during that enrollment process, um, a digital navigator is a trusted person who can be there to help facilitate and lead that person um, through whatever it, whatever kind of process it is they're trying to accomplish, whether it's ACP or learning a new digital skill or maintaining online safety and so forth. Okay, um, we're we're quickly running out of time, but there's a couple more areas I want to want to touch on. Uh, the, sure. This has been awesome. Um, as we put more devices out in the, the digital landscape or the digital ecosystem, um, there's always that cyber security threat. There are a lot of threat actors out there that are just looking for opportunities. Um, and specifically now with the uh, proliferation of AI, you know, you don't even have to have a person behind that laptop that's out there searching. Uh, what are the challenges that you guys have around cybersecurity and how are you uh, mitigating those challenges? It's a really good question. Um, it's really challenging and the, the cybersecurity piece is uh, one of the aspects of my work with Techwity that um, gives me maybe the most anxiety. Uh, <laughs> um, there's no, I don't see any kind of silver bullet solution to that. Um, uh, if everyone had access to, you know, uh, uh, a VPN and antivirus software, that would be a start. Um, but really, um, at, at this point, I see the cybersecurity piece as more of um, uh, more something that we're trying to address through our skills work and through our advocacy work. Um, 
the skills the skills work uh, or the skills group and the digital navigators they can address cybersecurity they can start addressing cybersecurity questions um, at that first line of defense which is I guess the individual user um, and helping folks um, understand uh, what kinds of risks or uh, threats could be out there uh, if you're sharing your personal information online or or uh, things like that um, but then we're also trying to uh, advocate when and where possible for um, policies, uh, laws, et cetera, that encourage um, like a, a threshold of um, a threshold security standard for everyone um, so that your uh, let's say if if I'm more knowledgeable about cybersecurity or how keeping myself and my my family or my personal information safe, um, if I have more knowledge about how to do that, um, the fact that someone has less knowledge than me doesn't mean that they're um, inherently more at risk or more vulnerable. I'd, I'd love to live in a world where that were true, um, where the lack of knowledge is not the thing that is going to uh, open you up to threats. Um, and so we want to make sure that um, in everything that we're advocating for, um, cybersecurity and digital safety, online safety, these are woven into the fabric of every decision and policy uh, or advocacy component we're, we're, we're lifting up. So one more question before I um, before we, we, we start to wrap this up. Um, the digital divide to me crosses all barriers. Um, people tend Absolutely. to think of the digital divide being more of rural areas. Mm. Can you elaborate on some of the more specific challenges in an in an urban setting where the digital divide is prolific and you know how you overcome those challenges through this program? Yeah, definitely. Um I this is such an important part of the discussion in the digital divide. So, um you know, take a state like Wisconsin. Wisconsin has uh, a couple um, really densely populated areas. So there's um, Metro Milwaukee, of course, and then the Madison area, Dane County is very, very heavily populated. Um, and there are other parts of the state with bigger cities, um, but uh, it's tons of rural space. We have lots of farmland, lots of forests and fields, all that kind of stuff. Um, and connectivity in rural areas is a real challenge for for our state absolutely um the other side of that coin though uh is that in urban areas where you might have more infrastructure uh and and quote unquote greater access um there are still things within um, infrastructure rich environments that will prevent people from adopting the internet let's say at the household level um and in my experience in our kind of research and learning about the landscape here in metro milwaukee affordability is a massive barrier um, and so the way i frame it usually is it's just two sides of the same coin in rural areas let's say the problem generally is uh, an absence of infrastructure and we're addressing that through many different funding streams and uh, legislation and so forth um, the other other side of that coin for urban areas or even suburban areas is um, the affordability barrier if you are making uh, less generally say $50,000 by household per year or less, um, the likelihood that you have the means to 
sustain an internet subscription that is, uh, let's say, anywhere from $60 to $80 a month for internet alone, not bundled with anything, um, that could be a really, really difficult cost for your household to sustain um, if that's the speed or the quality of the connection that you need. Um, so, and, and then even uh, on top of that, um, people in urban areas might, um, let's say, neighborhoods or, or, or census tracts, um, households in those census tracts qualify more for uh, low-cost internet plans and, and all that. Then there's oftentimes an awareness gap, like people just don't know that these resources or these low-cost plans are available to them. Um, and so with our Tech Equity Initiative, we're trying to do a few things. We're trying to connect the dots for people with resources that are readily and immediately available because not having access to affordable internet is an immediate problem, um, while also advocating for um, and raising awareness about that affordability barrier in uh, a more dense urban and suburban setting. So um, last last question here, uh, David. Um, it's been uh, it's been an awesome conversation, and yeah, absolutely. As, I, as I'm thinking about this, it, it would appear to me that this program is duplicatable. Um, it's my, my own opinion. First of all, the question is, is it duplicatable? And have you had, I guess this is two questions, but is it duplicatable? And have you guys had other people uh, want to know how you're doing this and, and, and those responses? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we have tried very hard to make the Tequity Initiative something that is duplicatable uh, pretty much anywhere you'd go. So um, we're focusing on uh, strategies and and a particular um, method of doing things rather than a very prescriptive uh, checklist, if you will. Um, we want to we we know what we want to focus on. We want to focus on broadband devices, skills, and advocacy. Um, but the the emphases that a particular organization or community might put on any one of those strategies could vary just depending on the nature of the barriers that that community is experiencing. Um, so I have had some great outreach and conversation from, uh, you know, other United Ways around the country, um, uh, organizations that have caught on to what we're trying to do here and, and want to learn a thing or two. But we've also learned a tremendous amount from I've mentioned the NDIA several times, but also other organizations that um, are doing similarly amazing work. You know, our um, Tequity Initiative really got a lot of uh, initial insight from the work that was being done in Detroit uh, with um, the city of Detroit and their Office of Digital Inclusion, which at the time was led by a, a gentleman named Joshua Edmonds. So I've found the digital equity uh, and inclusion space to be um, encouraging in that way. People want to learn from each other. There's an openness and an, a willingness to share and to kind of riff off of each other. Um, and that's really our, our goal with Tequity. We want Tequity to be um, something that, of course, is serving the needs of the members of our community and connecting, uh, especially the philanthropic community, with um, work that's happening, exciting, impactful work that's happening on the ground. Um, but we also want uh, anything that we're doing well or that that other groups or people might resonate with to be something that they can take and adapt for themselves um, and use for their own uh, for their own success. Great, great. So 
David, tell our audience how they can find out more or where they can go to to find out more about Tequity and and uh, possibly take what you guys have done and duplicate it in other parts of the country. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say the best place to start would be uh, to visit United Way's website, uh, and that is unitedwaygmwc.org. Uh, slash Tequity. That is the best place to get information about what we're doing, the kinds of things that we offer uh, just through our website alone. Um, and then if and when possible, you know, sign up for our newsletter. Um, our, our Tequity Advisory Council meetings are now open to the public. We don't quite have a, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't quite have a, a great uh, hybrid setup for our Advisory Council meetings yet. Um, but we'll get there. And the goal uh, of that being, if there are people in other cities or parts of the country who wanted to sit in and listen and learn to what's happen about what's happening in, in our part of the community um, or part of the country and take that back to wherever they are and adapt it, um, we want to make that open and, and available for folks too. Well, that's great. David, thank you so much for uh, sharing all this great information with them, with our audience. Absolutely. And hopefully uh, people will will embrace what you guys are doing and and in their own areas, like you said, go back, take it out, grow it, you know, help us to close the digital divide, not only in urban areas, not only in rural areas, but in urban areas, because they have their own unique challenges in closing that divide. Absolutely. So, um, again, thank you so much. The end of another uh, another great episode. Um, you know, and, and I always say this at the end, the power to close the, the digital divide lies within each one of us. It is all of our responsibility to champion digital inclusion, advocate for equal access, and to embrace all of technology's potential to take us there. By doing this, we can create a world where everyone has a fair chance to thrive in the digital age. Again, thank you, David. We'd like to come back and maybe uh, catch up with you guys a little bit again after you've gone down the road a little bit and you can share some more about all the great things that you guys are doing. That'd be great, Charles. Thanks so much for the invitation to join your podcast. I appreciate it.